Welcome to The Big Deal with Glenn Ferris, Episode 7. I'm Glenn Ferris, and on today's podcast, I chat with Hank Dickinson. And he's got a official title, and it's a long one. Hank is the Executive Senior Athletic Director Community Relations at the University of North Texas. And this guy, he wrote the book on job titles, apparently. So my first run-in with Hank was, in, well, it wasn't a run-in. I mean, when I first met and was around Hank. It was in 2013, and I had started hanging out in City Hall at a meeting called the Downtown Task Force. Hank was on that board, and what they do is they approve what's called the Downtown Reinvestment Grant, and it's very important work if you live, breathe, eat, sleep, and work downtown, which I do, and really that was my introduction into a lot of the inner workings of the city. It's where I met all the so-called movers and shakers and actually that's that's where i first was around greg johnson and it's a really interesting board but that's kind of where we first got to know each other and he's easily one of the nicest guys in our city he shares a similar love of music and arts and culture and he really is the epitome of everything great about our town i've especially enjoyed our 4 p.m friday evening meetings at dan silverleaf where Hank often has a very important announcement to share with the Scrum. And I need to also mention that Verus Commercial and Mean Green Athletics have partnered quite a bit over the years in several ways, and we're really excited about this year's upcoming tailgate partnership, which Hank and Joe Domingo always do such a great job facilitating. So come on out to Apogee Stadium. The first game is August 31st. The Mean Green will face off with Abilene Christian. The game starts at 6.30, and typically we're out there about two hours before kickoff, eating, drinking, having a good time at the Eagle Point tailgating area. Check out meangreensports.com for the schedule, and come out and say hello to Team Varys. And if you see Hank, make sure to ask him for more ice. Anyways, that's coming up. Uh, conversation with my good buddy Hank. But before that, we've got a question from the internet. Really enjoyed answering last week's question, and we've got another one, so here goes. Glenn, really enjoyed your podcast with Joey Hawkins. Thank you very much. I am hoping I can ask for your help with something. My husband is in the process of starting up a business downtown. He is needing a mentor slash nice person to talk with regarding starting up his business. I was hoping you could suggest someone. He's a CPA and I'm a teacher and we are a bit lost. All right. That is a fantastic question. And I love it because I have been in that spot so many times. I have started so many things and I've always had the idea, but it's... It's not the idea that often is the hard part. It's the business of the idea. It's getting your idea off the ground takes a lot of other things that have nothing to do with your idea. And it can get frustrating. It can get overwhelming. Totally understand all of that. And man, I have misfired so many times and made so many mistakes. A lot of the way I figured things out was just pure trial and error. I mean, things like, you know, if you're a downtown business, you're trying to get a CEO, you're trying to figure out payroll. How does cash flow work? How do I market this idea? There's so many questions. Trial and error is the long way around. So that's why I really like this question because 
get in front of someone who can share some of that wisdom. And I've got two really good resources for this. Go to stokedenton.com slash mentors. Stoke Denton is a co-working space here in town run by Heather Gregory and Marshall Culpepper, two amazing people. And they have a program and they've got on the website, uh, stokedenton.com slash mentors, there's a huge list of awesome, awesome people. Uh, Patrick Peters, uh, Daniel Basilo, just to name a few. Just awesome, awesome folks that can help you out with just about anything. Um, just Everyone has a little profile, profile on the page. Uh, when, they, when they're at Stoke, that, what a great resource Stoke brings to the table. Um, and the other one, and this is something a lot of folks don't know about, but the Denton Chamber of Commerce has a small business development center. Uh, I believe it's a partnership with NCTC, and you can call Britt at 940-380-1849, and he can help you out with a lot of stuff. Free counseling for small businesses in Denton. Uh, he is a certified small business development specialist, and he's located at the Chamber of Commerce, 414 West Parkway Street. Visit their website as well, uh, 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. by appointment only. Give them a call, 940-380-1849. Talk to Britt. Um, other than that, you're going to come across a lot of other things that are hurdles in your way and find out someone who's... Just find someone who's gotten to that point and overcome those hurdles and talk with them and, and see how they did it and learn something and get your idea done because your idea is important. So thank you so much for the question. Uh, keep the questions, comments, reviews coming. Hit like, subscribe, all that stuff. And let me tell you where you can find me on the internet. Website is glennferriscommercial.com. I'm on Twitter at Glenn Ferris. I'm on Facebook, Glenn Ferris, Ferris Commercial. And check out my Instagram, at Glenn Ferris. You know, I haven't been doing much Instagram lately, so that's a good reminder to stay on that. Anyways, here's what you've all been waiting for, a conversation between me and Hank Dickinson. Uh, for instance, let me give you a smattering of headlines here. Florida A&M maintains championship goals despite postseason ban. I can read that one. Uh, good dude, cool coach, Trey Oliver brings passion and energy to NCCU football. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Um, Pigskin and eggs. Arizona State football reacts to possible 9 a.m. kickoffs. And then here's one. Washington State's leech staunchly against proposed 9 a.m. Pac-12 kickoffs. That's a big deal right now. 9 a.m. kickoff, like the game starts at the, 9 a.m.? The Pac-12 commissioner has said, we need to be more relevant. Nobody watches our games because we don't kick until late. Let's start thinking about morning kickoffs so that Pac-12 football can be mainstream, so that East Coast people will watch it. Oh. And he's got a great idea in that for years, when I get home from a late Mean Green return trip, yeah. what do I do? I get home and watch Pac-12 football because that's all that's on. It yeah. comes on at 11 p.m. Yeah. But that's the only time it comes on. So if you've been watching football all day, you've checked out when Washington State kicks off against Arizona. Yeah. So who knows? But the coaches hate the idea. 
Yeah. Well, it probably kind of ruins the culture around the games yeah. here, right? Like yeah. 9 a.m. Like what? West Coast, they're not getting up at 9 to do anything. No. Yeah. Or like the tailgate culture. Like, are they going to get there at 7? I guess. Or 6? Maybe. Or they just stay up all night and get fried. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. This turns out to be a very sound efficient room yeah it's not bad okay well i've got to get over the nasally but we'll be all right we'll move through this we'll be fine i sit outside almost every night and i'm enjoy it Ooh, yeah there we go that's good i'm switching up my allergy stuff yeah what are you taking right now i'm on the allegra yeah so i like the fact you've got meangreensports.com on your computer screen that's awesome what uh-oh <laughs> that's not it's so your good. bio that's not so good I thought you were reading about football or something good. No, oh, you're looking good. Looking good in that picture. Yeah, it's like 78 years ago. Does that intimidate ago. you to have your picture stared no, at No, it's just depressing. Um, yeah. Well, you're from, how did, you grew up in Kansas. I did. What part of Kansas? Well, when you say Kansas, you've got this thought in your mind. I grew up right outside of Kansas City, so I'm a suburban brat. Oh, okay. Yeah, Overland Park. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. We, I think we talked about this when yeah. I was talking with the, Olathe, Olathe. Yeah, and that's folks. not far from where I grew up, and it is now a very Denton-like uh, town, Olathe. Uh, yeah. When I grew up, it was you know a couple stoplights. Right. Um, it's a lot like uh, it's a lot like Denton. Um, it's a lot like Frisco. Frisco. When I moved here in '95, Frisco was literally a one stoplight town. Yeah. And you look at Frisco now, and it's like, yeah, they had a pretty good plan for all that. Yeah, they planned it out because they did, the same thing. It yeah. was probably all cornfields out there. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So did you hang out in Kansas City, and did you take part in the music scene there? As uh, uh, not so much the music scene. I, I got more into all that when I was in college in Lawrence. But uh, but uh, yeah, Dad worked downtown Kansas City and loved going to Kansas City. Mom worked on the Plaza, which is the the big shopping district or was back then. Um, but yeah, very very much into the whole Kansas City scene brothers and sisters nope just me just you hanging out there in a suburb of kansas city just me so you decided to stay local how far away uh, is lawrence from uh it's about 45 minutes uh back in the day it took a little longer to get there now it's a straight shot on the highway um but you know i didn't come home much yeah yeah were you kind of ready to when you got out of Oh, uh, what is that? The Kansas State, I guess, is what that is. No, no, sir. Kansas University of Kansas, Kansas University of Kansas. Yeah. Kansas sorry. State's a very subservient thing, farther away. So when you got out of <laughs> that school, you went to the University, the University of Kansas, of yes. Kansas. Uh, Jayhawk, right? When you got out of there, were you a big sports fan when you were in school? Yes, because they had a big basketball program. Yes, yeah, massive, yeah. huge, huge fan of the Jayhawk basketball program. And so. what did you do there? In school, yeah, what was your school? Uh, got a broadcast degree and um, figured out by my sophomore year that if I could get in with the campus radio station doing sports, that I could get a press pass and not have to camp out to get into Allen Fieldhouse to watch the Jayhawks. So wow. I thought, well, that's your ticket, right? Legit. Yeah. So yeah. by my junior year, I was uh, I was <laughs> I was awful, but I was calling the games for the campus station and Gaming my friends. The system. Yeah. And my, my friends, my friends were all like, well, how'd you pull that off? I'm like, well, you know, just being industrious, I guess. But uh, yeah, that, that probably uh, fueled a lot of uh, where I am now. 
So was there, I mean, did you love the radio? Were you just, you I loved- did love the radio. I still love the radio. I know it's not, um, it's not as mainstream now, terrestrial radio, because there's so many different ways to access what you want to listen to. Um, and people listen to podcasts, people listen to their music, everything's coming off their phone. But growing up, my age range, you listen to sports all the time on the radio. You went to bed listening to baseball, you know, and if you had a good AM FM radio, uh, which I did, you could pick up KMOX in St. Louis and listen to the Cardinals with, you know, nice with Jack Buck. You could flip over and catch a, you know, a different game. You might get a minor league game out of San Antonio, or you might get, you know, you could twist around on the dial and get a lot of stuff. But I, yeah, I went to bed every night in the summer uh, without fail listening to the Royals all the way until the post game was over with. So yeah. g- give me the time period of like, uh, I guess, like what years were you at? Um, in, in I graduated co- in high school in 83. So okay. I was I was in college uh, through 87. Um kind of limped around Lawrence for another year. So I didn't really effectively get out there until 88, which was good for me because they won the national title in 88. Wasn't that great for my parents because I had a degree and I was bartending, you know? So, um, <laughs> and then try, try, tried to get serious about, uh, doing something, you know, in 88. That's awesome. Yeah. So what, what was it that drew you specifically to, broadcasting was it just like the perfect marriage of like being in love with sports and you love the radio i mean was it just the perfect marriage or was there was there anything else intangible that that drew you to it no i just always was fascinated with the fact um that you could actually make a living doing that um and uh, for me uh this was well before you had fan sites or blogs or twitter or anything so really the only way you could keep up with a team was to really immerse yourself in a limited sports talk yeah. uh, at the time, but pregame and postgame, you know, coverage of a team. So I grew up a big uh, Kansas City Royals, Kansas City Chiefs fan. And then back then it was the big eight, but you were pretty well immersed in Kansas, Kansas State, and Missouri. Those were the three schools that got covered all the time. So you know, year round, you had you had those things you were exposed to. Um, by the time I got to college, uh, ESPN had become a player, and that was like a big game changer uh, in the '80s because ESPN suddenly gave you an entree to all the other teams and all the other things going on. And so, if you had that on your basic cable package, um, people of my age will remember that was a huge thing. You had two things that came out when I was in school that were. Uh, culturally game changers one was in my opinion the entertainment sports programming network espn uh, which in its infancy was was much different than what you see now because they showed all sorts of outlandish off the grid sports just to kind of create a a format right like uh, they would have like log throwing i remember that like throwing, in the 90s, cliff yeah. diving anything they could come up with that's that a would, sport that yep. would fill it uh, and then the other game changer was music television mtv yeah. because suddenly now, what you enjoyed about radio was a visual uh, context, twenty four seven, and all the the you know popular music now was accompanied with a video, and so you know you'd hook your TV up to a couple of big uh, big speakers, and that was your entertainment. If you hosted a party in college or whatever, you had to have MTV. Yeah, you had to have that going. If you didn't have that, why would you even have a party? Yeah. So you leave school, and what sort of job do you? What's your dream job? Trying to 
get into the industry at, right out of school? What would have been my dream job then? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, working for the Royals, Chiefs, Jayhawks. Yeah. I, I was able to uh, to get uh, some entree into the sports information uh, world at, uh, at Kansas. And uh, the SID, Doug Vance, very, very nice guy, gave me an you know, opportunity to, to kind of learn that side of the business. But uh, I worked real hard to um, be highly involved with the campus radio station. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, at, at that point in time, everybody thought they were going to be Bob Costas. Didn't quite work out for me, but, you know. But that was kind of the dream to be a broadcaster. You wanted to be it was the then. talent on yeah. the mic. It was yeah. then. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Any interest in the production side of things or... That kind of came with the territory. How did that work? You know, uh, I wish I wish I had been bit by that bug um, then. Uh, as I've gotten older and been around a lot of the, the really talented people I've met, I wish I had gotten more into the production side. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm sure that was changing quite a bit at the time, too. It was, but I mean, you know, I, I look at it now, um, I, I think I would have been better suited to be like in the truck, you know, or producing coming up with the graphic ideas. Uh, there's so much that goes into uh, the broadcasting world, and I'm, I'm blessed to still coordinate a, a broadcasting class, and it's predicated on really good guest lectures and, and a lot less of me. <laughs> but the people Farming that I... the talent. Yeah. The people that I bring in um, are, are so talented. I mean, we are blessed in this market to have some fantastic people, most of whom came out of the University of North Texas, um, which is great. But the students are a lot more interested in production work now than they are on air. Um, really? 10 to 15 years ago, they all wanted to be... The guy. On air. Yeah, the guy or the gal. Yeah. Now, uh, 20 to 22 kids in the class normally, and I would say 18 of them want to be behind the scenes. They want to be camera people. They want to be production people. They want to you know, they want to learn how to run the replay. They want to do that kind of stuff, which is great. There's a lot of future uh, in all of those things. Um, probably a better longstanding career in a lot of that than there is being talent because yeah. talent has a pretty short porch normally. Right, right. Well, bring this up to 1995 when you get to UNT. How did that genesis, I mean, am I correct on that date? Did I write that down correctly? I, I got here in August of 1995. And bring us up to the genesis of Hank as we know him. <laughs> uh, I have, had been married for a year uh, to my terrific wife, Missy, and I promised her we're going to move to Texas, but we'll only be there a couple years. Just bear with me. We're not, <laughs> this is a short-term move. Um, we were both working at Virginia Commonwealth University, now commonly known as VCU. But Wait, how'd then, you get there? How'd you get over there, though? Well, I mean, you know, you just uh, right the, out of school. The, took the, a... No, the job market. When I got my uh, master's degree, the job market took me back east, and that was where I, I got an internship, turned into a full time job. Um, I left there, went to Radford University for a short stint, then back to to uh, VCU. But we were working; we were both working at VCU at the time. She was uh, a women's basketball coach. And when I got the job offer at uh, North Texas, it was predicated by a colleague of mine, Tim Fitzpatrick, who I had worked for at VCU. He'd left VCU and gone to work for the Southwest Conference. And then when the Southwest Conference was dissolved, <clears throat> excuse me, he got an opportunity to work at North Texas. So he called me 
out of the blue and said, hey, I've got a great opportunity at the University of North Texas. Have you ever heard of it? And I said, well, no, I've, I've heard of North Texas State. And he kind of laughed at this, same place. Yeah. Uh, which I Name which change. I have learned over the last 25 years. Yeah, same place. Um, anyway, Tim uh, had been my, my mentor at VCU. And uh, he said, there's a lot of opportunity here for you based on what you what I know you can do. And I said, I don't have any idea about the University of North Texas other than I guess it's in North Texas. And he said, well, you know, we're, we're getting ready to step up to Division One football. Um, you need some football on your resume. Uh, both schools I'd worked at previously were basketball only, so they didn't have football. Okay. And he said, you know, it gets you back to the, to the Southwest, closer to, to home. My, you know, my parents were both seven hours north in Kansas City. And uh, I was like, yeah, it sounds interesting. You know, and it was a move up for me uh, in terms of uh, just, you know, the career. So came out, did the interview, and uh, you know I, I can still remember the excitement of getting on the plane in Richmond and flying to to Dallas, you know, to uh, to check it out. Had to really convince my wife, honestly. I was like, you know, let's let's give this a shot. This is good good thing career wise, and uh, I'd already done some hopping around, you know, so I, I wasn't averse to moving around at that point in time. Um, she was, but you know, twenty five years later, uh, Denton's been phenomenal for both of us but so. you were kind of in the college track i mean and you were doing athletics mm -hmm. department things right what does that even entail that's kind of a mystery to me i was in band so uh well i mean it's changed a lot you know you look at our athletic department now and we're a lot more uh equipped uh across the board than north texas was when i got here but it was probably a great thing for me to come here because you had to wear a lot of different hats but got it but basically you uh you know you got to find your way what do you want to do in college athletics people always come to me and say oh i'd love to get into that and i'm like well you know you need to understand that it's um it's not exactly what the public thinks all the time the coaches aren't exactly what you see at a chamber of commerce mixer uh, you right. know it's a, right. it's a very it's a very focused and purpose-driven field, and you're you're there to help kids first, coaches second, both very close, and so you're always in the support uh, realm. But I had come up through the public relations and and uh, marketing side of things. Got so it. my position when I left VCU was an assistant athletic director for marketing and public relations. Um, but I was starting to do a lot of sales work back there, trying to generate revenue. Sponsorships. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. So Tim, who hired me, knew that I had that kind of niche. And he also knew I had the, the broadcasting background. So the position that I kind of jumped into here was uh, was well-suited for me. Uh, I, don't know if it, I don't know if every supporter of the Mean Green would say I was well-suited for it. But, uh, but, you know, tried to grow into it. And uh, I came up through that side of the business. People that want to be, you know, in, in tickets or finance need to kind of start out there. People that want to be in compliance um, that's a totally different world academics. There's so many different rungs that you can come through. Um, but a lot of times if your goal, if your end game is to be an athletic director, um, normally you're told you better find a way to raise some money you yeah. know, because that's going to be important at, at some point. Um, and that's, that's still true today, I think. So back then, you know, that was the end game was, Hey, let's, let's try to get as much experience as you can and, and hope to get there. But in the division one ranks, there's only so many of those jobs and, uh, you know, there's a lot of chips have to fall the right way to get there. And, uh, has never happened for me. I had a couple of opportunities earlier on when I was in my forties to probably bolt out of here and maybe 
chase that dream. And for whatever reason, um, we always would just write down the pros and cons and frankly, Denton always had more pros than wherever we were looking. Well, when you got here in 1995, what was Denton like? Did you show up and was that your first thought was we're definitely not in Kansas anymore? (laughs) Well, remember, (laughs) uh, miss and I were, were without kids. Had to throw that in. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) And so we, we had, had yet to begin the, uh, the childering phase of our lives. And you were listening to Nirvana, obviously. A little bit, yeah. Point. I was still pretty much stuck in the 80s music-wise. But Beastie um, Boys were huge probably at that time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, we, we, were, we had been living in downtown Richmond, Virginia, which is a great place, but it's a very, um, it's a very active downtown. There's a lot of crime. Yeah. And when we left Richmond, I think it was maybe number one in, in – per capita murders per year. So, I mean, we lived in an apartment down in the fan uh, in Richmond where we had bars on the windows and you heard all sorts of loud noises all night. You know, I mean, there was always uh, sirens and everything and you just got kind of numb to it. We moved to Denton. The square was, I mean, tumbleweeds coming through the square. Oh yeah. We we thought it was really quaint. We loved it. We're like, oh, this is cool. There's a courthouse and all that. And then we moved, you know, north side and it was the thing we couldn't get over for about a year was how quiet it was at night. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, this is really calm compared yeah. to where we were. But the funny thing is we always said, and this was back in 95, 96, 97, what if the square really blew up and turned into this really cool thing? Yeah. We can touch on that later, but obviously yeah. you look at where it is now and it was yeah. everything we thought it could be. And uh, that, that part of having been here right. and being a part of some of that is uh, part of what we, we really enjoy. So you got here and you saw some potential and some like uh, ground that hadn't been covered yet culturally, probably. Yeah, what I saw was a town, uh, and God bless her, Eulene Brock would smack me in the head. A city, not yeah. a town. We're a city, We're not a, city. a town. That's yeah. what she always tell me, and she's right. Uh, I saw a city with two universities and a potential for a vibrant downtown that was not there. Yeah, and I saw uh, at the time TWU was starting to really decline in. Um, in their enrollment, which I always thought at the time was, boy, this is a shame. What a beautiful campus, you know, and to have that kind of singular market being Texas Women's University, you know, why can't they revive themselves, which they certainly did under great leadership. Uh, and then North Texas was a really good opportunity for a quality education, but it was still at the time a, more of a school of second choice um, and more of a, uh, you know, a, got to be honest. I mean, people were coming during the day and leaving. And so like on the weekends, very hard to get support for a football or a basketball game because the students had left. Yeah. Um, and I kept thinking, this is stupid. We've got this incredible town and we've got so much upside. And so the ceiling was always way up there. And and you fast forward to where we are now with 38,000 plus and across the, uh, the, the city, TWU is I think around 16. We're a huge college town, huge. and we do have a vibrant downtown. And yeah. so it all has, has come together, and you look at where both universities are going now, and you look at where this city is going now, and it's it, it, it just took a while, I think, for everyone to, to pull together. But I'm excited about where we are right now, just collectively for the whole, the whole area. Yeah, and that's a lot of what I saw when I got here. Uh, man, I'll never forget it. August 8th of 2003 is when I showed up, and 
I remember walking from the Fry Street area downtown, and I thought I'd come from Boston, Massachusetts. So I was thinking that's going to be like Copley Square. It's going to be farmers markets. There's going to be you know bars are already going to be open, um, and it. I get downtown. It was like a Saturday, and it was like 6 p.m. And everyone's closing up their shop. All the cars are leaving. The tumbleweeds go by. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Like, everybody in this town should want to be right here, right now, eating at, what is that, the loophole, whatever that is. You know, that was kind of the one place down there you could get a burger besides Sweetwater around the corner. Right. And it just, I saw so much potential that that's kind of what kept me engaged in the idea that like I can show up here suitcase guitar in my hands and man I might be able to like make something of myself here because you, you might a, you might have gotten here right at it. maybe you're the reason that could well be but right, you right. got here right <laughs> when it started to turn in my opinion that would have been the the, yeah. the 2002 three four people started to have a different Absolutely, idea yeah and as sad as it was because I love the old fry street vibe i mean i've always liked college town the tomato areas but but honestly when the tomato left everybody got up in arms uh worried about what was going to happen that was a crazy time period too they i mean it set on fire one night somebody set it on fire i mean and that was a big event i remember when that happened i remember i was living in the oaks and it was i don't know if you remember uh it was called what was it called? Denton Rock City. It was a message board. All the musicians were on it. And it was a big to-do about the tomato going away, and it was gutted, and there was the guy that chained himself to the inside and was singing <laughs> protest songs. The pizza wasn't that good. Uh, yeah. Actually, it was. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty ski, fantastic. Ski but remains a friend of mine. You did uh, have to fight the cockroaches for your pizza, uh, though, so occasionally. Uh, so, you know. But it was such a big to-do, and then I remember that night, like our apartment window kind of faced Fry Street and we heard every fire engine in Denton just headed toward Fry Street and you could see the glow already and it was like, oh my goodness. And this was before like live Facebook and all that or I'm sure it would have been all over that. (laughs) Uh, And we knew exactly what it was. We got on the message board and it was like, tomatoes on fire, tomatoes burning down. That was a big, that was a big event. And I think a lot of people got engaged to the city because of that event. They kind of saw the, this part of the neighborhood, this part of the culture that they felt like they kind of had a hand in shaping the direction of where it went and it didn't go the way they wanted it to. So that you saw a lot of people get into Denton local politics. That's kind of when I started paying attention, Kevin Roden mm-hmm. uh, at that time, Joey Hawkins, like that crop of people that kind of came up from that event are kind of the people you see right now that are deeply involved with their community. Um, but yeah, that that was kind of a big turning point for me as far as like what the square could be because a lot of the focus of culture kind of shifted from the Fry yeah, Street absolutely. area. absolutely. And that, that was where I was going. You know, the, <clears throat> the tomato is just the one example, and it's probably the best one because it was that corner location and everyone has good memories of going to, to, to get pizza at the tomato. But once it left... It signaled the fact that, okay, Fry Street's not going away, but it's changing. Like it or not, yeah. it's going to change. And yeah. I would argue that the change actually was the best thing that the downtown business district could have ever gotten because it pushed the students down 
hickory towards the square. And then suddenly the square began to morph. More importantly, in my mind, was the bottom of the square began to morph at the same time. When when Dan Mahika closed down on Elm, yeah, but then got resurrected down on Industrial Street. The wrong part of town. The wrong part of town. I mean, Industrial was the street where you went to pay your cable bill and get out of there yeah. because everything was pretty much burnt down. You know, you had the feed yeah. store. You might go there to buy dog food or whatever, but unless you were into feed, you had no reason to go to the bottom of, of the square. Yeah. But when Dan and, and little guys were able to, to put that music venue there, yeah. and then in short order, you end up with Fuzzies and Roosters, and then you get Mellow Mushroom, and suddenly, okay, now it's not just the square, it's the bottom part of yeah. industrial. And you look at how that began to morph, well, suddenly no one's thinking about Fry Street anymore. At least for a couple of years, they're starting to move their activities downtown. Yeah. All the while, Fry Street's starting to recreate itself. It's becoming a lot more um, housing, you know, and, and, and places for a burgeoning student body to live. Yeah. And by the time they both get done... Well, now you've got a downtown business district that stretches all the way from a big time campus of thirty eight thousand right to your downtown area. Yeah, um, people complain about parking. I laugh at that. I'm like, oh, you that's know, the biggest joke. Yeah. Well, um, and here and maybe this is the athletic background. Try I mean, parking in Boston. Well, so like I had a car there, and I got here, and I'm like, wait, you're like you're in an awesome place in an awesome area with awesome food. And you expect there to be just open parking lots? Well, first of all, walking's good for you. So park and walk. Um, secondly, if you go to any big event, Rangers, Cowboys, you name it, a concert in American Airlines, you don't park in front row Joe spots. You're going to go no. and park and you're going to walk to the venue. That's what downtown is. It's a venue. Yeah. And there's a lot of parking that's pretty close to wherever you need to get to. So that whole thing, uh, still, it's like, get over that. We've, we've got places, and yeah, we'll create some more parking. But downtown is active. It's good for our economy. It's kids going to school here with more expendable income than you and I have in our wallets right now. Going downtown, enjoying a lot of stuff with the rest of us that live here. I, to me, yeah. uh, more and more. Expand the business district. Make it bigger. I yeah. think it's great. Make it more dense. And even the, you know, the the actual square, the lawn is becoming more and more of the actual, the public square, Mm -hmm. the place where you can exercise your first amendment rights to the, you know, to the, the boundaries of what, what that concept is. And it's right in the middle of where we do all of our commerce. It's our central business district, such an important vital part of our city. And, you know, one of the things that I like to look at, and this is a fun little comparison to do is the cost per acre analysis of like how much money a city puts into a square foot of let's say J&J's pizza or what sort of, you know, if you invest. A that include the basement or just the regular floor? Actually, that's a good question because it does. Okay. And that's the cool thing about density is when you have multiple levels over one square foot of land then that dollar becomes pretty stinking valuable, especially if that dollar isn't being spread over concrete for parking. Take that same dollar and put it into, let's say, a project like uh, Bucky's. The The return on those two dollars, it's exponentially higher on J&Js. So if it is, if that's the case, then we need to be dumping all of our money that we're going to invest in our city where we're going to get 30x, 40x, not, you know, we, we get 5x, 10x over here, mm-hmm. which is great. We should do that. But 
you know, the investment downtown is so crucial to uh, our tax base. Like, and that's, you know, collecting taxes is what the city's job is so they can supply us clean water, you know, safety and, and streets and all that stuff. Well, you know, uh, last night uh, was what, uh, Wednesday. So middle of the week, <clears throat> we went out to eat uh, and went to Komodo Loco. And if you know where that is, it's it's in an alley. There's like no a little side street. There's yeah. no parking for Komodo Loco, but nope. there's public parking right off of McKinney. Yeah, and throw a baseball and hit it. Yeah. yeah. So we parked there and we walked, you know, less than 30 yards and we were at Komodo Loco. But it was also a reminder that on a Wednesday night at 730, uh, how much was happening yeah. downtown and school hasn't started yet. No. I mean, it's we're not even to that point where we're at full capacity, but yeah. you know, you walk past uh, Oak street draft house on your way to Komodo Loco and it's packed with people. And, and I think uh, one of the people that has done more for downtown and he never cares for recognition and would probably cringe to even hear his name called John Williams, yeah. East side and Oak street were two of the best uh, additions to downtown, <laughs> yeah. not only for what they currently bring, but the the two properties that he recreated, and he's he's making another one right now. That guy has done more for drawing the students and getting them down to spending money uh, in the downtown business district than anybody I can think of. And extending the range of what we conceive as downtown. Yes, yeah, getting it on the periphery and and, and yeah. quality places that are are well maintained and a lot of fun. Like you know, the running club was going last night. There's runners all over downtown. Yeah. That's John. That's yeah. John Williams doing that. I mean, and people need to realize, and next time they see that guy, just say, hey, thanks, man, because everything he does certainly has a business element to it, but it, it's beneficial to the quality of our life down here. Yeah, totally. And his partnership with UMT Athletics. the He's our biggest season ticket holder. I, yeah, I, I could bring that up, too. Uh, there, there's a lot of about John that I like, but uh, uh you know, he, he transports people back and forth to every game in big numbers. And that's, you know, he started doing that at a time where it wasn't quite as fashionable as it is right now. So yeah. uh, I'll always have a, uh, a big warm spot in my heart for, for John for helping us kind of start the, uh, the train to where people wanted to start coming early and tailgating and, and starting downtown, you know, yeah. and then coming to the games, which I think is a great thing. That doesn't, that didn't go against what we're trying to get done on a game day. We've got acres and acres for tailgating, but if you want to start downtown and ride that shuttle, hey, uh, that's great because then you end up back downtown after the game. That's what we ought to be doing as a department is driving some some economic impact every time we have a home football game. Yeah, and there's a big economic impact to uh, you know, a winning football team mm -hmm. and, a, and a good program. And it's crazy that I haven't really looked at this outside of UNT and it's, I've been so fortunate to have seen it go from, you know, when Apogee got built, that was pretty big. People started Huge. paying attention. Yeah. It was a big step, big, big, big step. But you know, it was like, it's way out there. There wasn't a good way to get there. You know, this is pre pedestrian bridge, I think even. Mm -hmm. um, but now, I mean, it is, and I'll tell you this at 5am when I run, you know where I run, I run straight to Apogee because the way downtown is connected to that stadium right now for a pedestrian is incredible. It's completely lit walks. There's yeah, sidewalks. I, it's beautiful. It's, your wife and I were talking last night about how campus incredible. has changed and the campus planning. It was so great hearing her compliment all that because you don't always hear that, but 
the way the campus is laid out now, it's a huge connector really from downtown all the way to Apogee. If yeah. you, if you want to take that run, that walk, you can do yeah. it. And, uh, I, I would applaud campus planning for the master plan. And, and you nailed it. The pedestrian bridge is a huge, uh, you know, component to what we're trying to do as an athletic department. When you, when you drive by Apogee, that's one thing you're like, Oh, they built a new stadium. Great. Yeah. But when you actually take the time to come over on our side of the property and now you start seeing the indoor practice facility and you start seeing what we did with track and field and soccer, it opens up your eyes to why North Texas wanted to expand athletically on the other side of the highway for years. People would ask me, what are you doing? You're, you're over there on an old golf course. And we're like, well, yeah. we've got a game plan. Yeah. And now it's nice to see those same people and say, and so here it yeah. is, you know, that's some incredible vision And in every neighborhood that butts up against UNT. Like when you butt up against UNT, you automatically are now connected on this like massive trail system that gets you over mm-hmm. a major, major highway. That's, I mean, that can't be, emphasized enough i mean every we all kind of benefit just by you know geolocation right right to the the cool things that are happening over there well we need to get bonnie bray fixed that's that's the the next big thing and there's so much going on in town in terms of road closures and road improvements and and listening to the county commissioners last night talk about how all that works it's it's a huge process yeah but that's the next thing is because you know we want to host more and more events and and our our athletic director ren baker is a big event guy so like the indoor practice facility he thinks could be you know more than just that it could be boat shows it could be yeah. a, a place where people come and Book, when you come uh, and see that cheap it, trick it, yeah, it'd be awesome space, i don't yeah. know if he would agree with that but we'll talk about it uh <laughs> but between apogee and the indoor you've now got two very viable um places for big community events but you've got to have egress uh and and bonnie bray is still a, a single you know two-lane road with very yeah. poor um either side is like a ravine. So, yeah. I mean, if you had some sort of car issue, you could go off that road. So getting that fixed will really help us. The uh, This year, um, the fireworks show that, that uh, the Qantas Club puts on that I'm a part of, we were able to get people in and out, both uh, North Texas Boulevard and Bonnie Bray made a big difference. But it's that's like a football game. By the time you have the number of people that come to watch that show, when you sit up there and you watch, you're like, you know, this, is, this has got to get improved because there's really – only two ways in yeah. and you look at where we are in football right now and we've yet to to sell out apogee but it could happen this year certainly um yeah. that's as big an event as you can have in denton texas so yeah. let's start treating it like that and and get ready for every game to be thirty thousand. Um, yeah. i think you have to approach it that way yeah well you know the other horrible connector oak and hickory i mean that is the main artery between the university and downtown I'm on it every single morning and it is terrifying on foot. I mean, it's so bad. And that's one of those things that has been put off for years and years. It seems like to the point that I think the main reason those roads keep deteriorating is because the sewer line is a hundred years old and keeps washing away. Yeah. I can see, I can see where it's a huge challenge for the city because when is your real downtime? You've got a university that's now, Pretty much 24-7. used to be the yeah. summer would really die down, but now you've got so many kids that are going to summer school that you don't have a, a necessarily a, a dead time, time where if, you could come yeah. in and just tear it up and say, okay, we're not going to impact yeah. anybody. That That's that's not going to happen. So you look at it right now, and yeah, Hickory is, is really Downtown Beirut. It's draining. Yeah, you, you just try to stay away. But 
got to get it done when you can get it done. And looks like it's going to be probably a mess through football season. So, yeah, and they're working on the hickory fry area right now. That's mm-hmm. all blocked off, which is it's actually kind of cool because there's a portion of hickory which is completely 100% pedestrian now because no car can right. get on it, which I think is kind of interesting. But this kind of brings up, I kind of look at that almost as a metaphor for the bridge between UNT and the city. And that relationship, probably when you got here in 1995, there was the town versus the gown, which I'm sure you're, you've heard. Yeah, of there was, it was, it was an invisible wall for whatever um, silly reason. Um, the two just didn't really connect, but I, I credit a lot of different people through the years for kind of starting to, to move that in the right direction. Um, I'll tell you who I credit a lot uh, is Perry McNeil because Perry uh, became mayor while he was still a professor at the University of North Texas. And he was he was a perfect guy to kind of say, you know, we all need to be working together. Yeah. Um, you know, and so he he was always pitching the the triangle of, you know, the community, the city, and the university all need to be completely tied together. And uh, I think that started to make some sense within City Hall while he was there. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when Eulene was the mayor, obviously she was very invested in the university. And so it started to take a turn. But yeah, when I first got here, it yeah. was like, why isn't everybody working? At, what, where is there a division here? You know, yeah. it just didn't make any sense. And there are some places that do a really good job. Um, I can't remember. It's at some school up in Wisconsin that, like, they'll have a music festival. And the engineering department will come up with, like, the light show for the music festival and the hospitality folks will run the green rooms and mm-hmm. you know it's like completely integrated and that's what always kind of frustrated me was when we were trying to do these big idea vision festivals um that there was never there was sort of a like oh, that's not you know like <laughs> you know there wasn't that sort of cooperation and you know you see that handshake that unt is definitely able to make that handshake because you see the handshake with Dallas or with Frisco. Like there's big community cooperation Mm -hmm. for big projects. And I wonder what will be the, the big handshake that'll finally be made with UNT and Denton. Like what partnership will that be? And I kind of see you as a, like you to me are kind of the bridge. You were the community guy that is also UNT right now. That's like really, fighting that battle. you like, I think you're on the front line of how people perceive UNT in the community. Well, that's scary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, uh, very no, nice. You do very it really nice well though. That. I mean, if you look yeah. at your list of like the things that you're active in, the, the things that you've done, I mean, you don't have to do that as uh, the, as your job title indicates, but you do because you find it important internally. You find it, the philosophy of it crucial to the success of UNT and the city, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hope I hope that some of that is is accurate. I I'll be honest though. Uh, early on in my career here, um, I felt like there was an opportunity if you got involved in a few things to um, to get more people involved in North Texas. So anything I I would get involved in um, always aided and abetted me, uh, especially when I was selling all the corporate. You know, I mean, I was constantly trying to sell advertising. So the more people I could meet. And the more people I could um, create a relationship with, <clears throat> it was advantageous to what my job was. Got it. Uh, Got when it. Yeah. When, uh, when we sold the marketing rights to Learfield, um, 
you know, good, bad, or indifferently. It was 20 years after I'd already kind of created that identity. So I didn't necessarily have to go network as much, but yeah. I'm also not selling uh, the corporate now. I'm, I'm more trying to do business development, community engagement, and it comes kind of naturally so I can get involved in a few more things. And thankfully, uh, the leadership that, that I work for now, uh, they, they appreciate that. And uh, that's a good thing for me. I, 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 I'm very thankful that, that Ren and, and the rest of them are, uh, you know, think that there's a role for that. But uh, this is such a good town in terms of uh, people giving back. It's a very quid pro quo mentality. Um, and so it was very easy for me to, to get involved in a lot of different things. But I always had to tell myself, if I'm going to do this, what, where is the benefit to North Texas athletics? If there's no benefit to North Texas athletics, then I, I don't, I can't justify doing it. Sure. But the bottom line is there's always been a benefit. Um, yeah. We've had a long way to go in terms of trying to build season ticket base, uh, mean green scholarship fund, uh, selling corporate advertising, which again would go back into our operating budget. Uh, and we're light years away from where we were in the nineties and the early aughts. Um, where do you think it goes from here? From an athletic perspective? Well, just overall, like the, the relationship, I think, is kind of what I'm talking about. Because mm. I understand the the athletic, I mean, it's obviously where your perspective is going to come from. But mm -hmm. I think like, a, what's is? do you have any vision for like what could be, you know, 10 years from now with the, you know, the, the groundwork that you've laid or that UNT's laid? Like, what could it be? What what could we do that we haven't done yet, that we haven't thought about? That's a good question. I, I think, you know, when you look at the university, um, getting the tier one status made a lot of sense. Um, and, and that puts us in a different plane. Uh, I think the university probably at some point is going to have to say, how big do we want to be? Where, you know, can we, do we want to cap it at some level and maintain it? Right. Uh, from an athletic standpoint, uh, boy, the, the sands are ever changing. And I think North Texas is in a good place right now in, in, in the conference that we're in, but there's going to be movement again. And, you know, we're always chasing the Houston's and the SMU's. We need to get to a point where we're right there with them. Yeah. And thankfully, I think right now, given the, the quality coaches and not just Seth, that's amazing, but across the board. Yeah. Grant, Jay Lee, John Headland. I mean, we, we've got really good people right now. Yeah. Uh, 16 sports, probably the best coaching staff we've ever had. Uh, we just need to keep doing what we're doing and be there when the next seismic change comes up and, and, and try to be, you know, a big player in yeah. the state. So, I mean, for me, trying to keep this community behind us is easier now than it's ever been. Yeah. Winning takes care of a lot of things. Uh, but you can never take your foot off the pedal. So I think, you know, what you try to do is, is continue to make sure everybody in Denton recognizes that no matter where you went to school, if you're living in Denton, North Texas is your hometown team. Get behind it, get involved, get to meet these coaches and these kids, and you'll get more involved. And so you just constantly have to be in front of them. And, yeah. and summertime's a big time. People have this big misnomer that in our business, wow, the summer's, you know, must be the easy time. Yeah, it could be if you want to take it off. But by the time you get to August, summer's gone. They're all back, and you better have gotten things organized and ready to go for the, the coming year. So I think a big part of what we have to do as a department is continue to be aggressive in marketing ourselves year-round. There's there's no time to take off. Yeah, and I think the goal, and I mean, just kind of how I see it, you got to kind of always go back to what's your core basic value. We want to be churning out 
high quality students, high quality athletes, high quality citizens. That's our goal. That's what we're trying to do here is train people up to take on the world better than anyone else. Right. Yep. And, and North Texas has continually grown the whole time I've been here. It's grown in terms of curriculum. It's grown in terms of faculty size. Um, it's grown in terms of facilities. I look at the, the campus now. If I walk through the campus and I've got, now I've got two kids going to North Texas, it's drastically different than when I got here in 95. And it, it's grown in the right ways. It's, it's been well-managed and, and well-maintained. And uh, I think one of the things you're going to see is more and more kids getting out of North Texas that stay right here. Yeah. That, that stay and want to work right here yeah. in, in Denton or Denton County. Um, and I think that's a good thing Yeah, uh, because there's a lot of opportunity here. You and I were at an event last night where, you know, you learn more about Denton County and the kind of jobs and the potential of big jobs, big employers that are coming here. Um, those are all enticing things for someone getting out of school right now that maybe wants to be in the financial sector you know, uh, there, there's going to be some pretty cool opportunities. Isn't that insane? I hadn't, I had not, I'd seen that I'd read it, but like understanding that like Charles Schwab is Charles Schwab picking up from San Francisco mm -hmm. coming here and moving to Denton County. That's insane. Yeah. And I think if, if you can live in Denton and go to work for Charles Schwab down, right. I mean, 5,000 employees. Yeah. Um, and the tech sector. I mean, I think this is a very ripe area for, some some more technology based um, companies to come and make Absolutely. that their their hub. Um, you know we're going to get more crowded. We're crowded now. Um, I think that's the only thing we've got to try to manage is is how we can add some better um, some better residential areas that are more appealing to people to move here. That was the other thing I learned last night. You've got a lot of people working in Denton, but not that many of them staying and living here. And the reason is they're they're finding home yeah. choices outside. So we've we've got to find a way to manage that. And it looks like up and down thirty five W that's going to happen. Um, you and I can't afford to live there, but some people can. <laughs> yeah, maybe someday. <laughs> maybe someday. That's awesome. Well, one of the things that I've really enjoyed watching grow is uh, the relationship that Varus has with the with the UNT athletics. Of course, we've got we we had Greg Price on the team here mm -hmm. that was uh an alumni and one of my favorite people one of mine too i love yeah. him he was uh, episode one have you heard that one yet no i need to go back greg greg's one of the uh I, i've known greg since i got here in 95 he was a, a grad assistant coach um my first year here and <clears throat> just uh i'm i'm so happy that he's back and and coaching high school ball because that's what he needs to be doing i know he was a huge asset at virus and probably you guys uh, are sorry Every day when you walk in here, he's not here, but that guy needs to be coaching kids. That's what he does. He was so awesome. And I think we're going to plan a field trip to one of his games and go down there and sit on the sidelines with him and watch him coach. We'll make it a Friday night when I'm not out of town and I'll go with you. There we go. That'd yeah. be awesome. Yeah. But yeah, the, so the, so Varys, I remember when I was not, I don't even think I was here yet, but Greg was kind of trying to, you know, see if I was a good fit uh, over here and he invited me to the tailgate and i was like never been don't even know like what's the address <laughs> you know uh, that's about where i was and he was like oh you know you'll see my truck with the big you know green unt flag on it and you know, just go there and the tailgate was literally the tailgate open little tv propped up that was barely working that they couldn't figure out and like 
cold grill, you know, and to see what it is now. And then like, so when I came on, I had the big idea, like, oh, we'll get the blow up tent with our logo on it. We'll do a lot of branding. We'll get out there. It was awesome. We, you know, and that's kind of grown into what it is now. And I mean, last year, just the amount of people and food and the fact that it's compressed, like that's been a cool thing to watch happen. And I'm like really excited about it this year in a way that I kind of have, I haven't been this excited about something uh, like that as far as being here at Varus before. I'm just, I'm looking forward to doing that thing again that we do because it's grown so much. Yeah, I, you know the the thing that happens when you when you get good at football is you become fashionable, um, and people start to understand that the game is still a big part of it, but it's only a part of it. it it's a it's a full day of a lot of fellowship, a lot of fun, yeah. um, a lot of work for people like Virus um, and you know Greg Johnson, uh, phenomenal supporter. And the thing is, you know, Greg played college football and. Uh, he saw, I think, early on the potential, and he stuck his flag in the ground early, and he's never pulled it out, which yeah. is great because some people kind of come and go. Okay, the team's either good, the team's not good, blah. But the bottom line is, if you really make sure you're a part of the fabric of game day, then you're going to be noticeable. And that's you know, he he markets Virus in the right way. But man, it's it's a phenomenal tailgate, and I can name you know probably ten people that have been consistent supporters. I mean, just tried and true. Um, he'd be in the top 10. And, and it's funny, the people that are consistent are the people that just love college football. And, and they're gonna they're, they're happy when we're playing as well as we are now, but they're not grumblers when we're not. They understand it kind of comes and goes with college kids. And uh, But the Virus tailgate, I think, kind of set the mark for a lot of other people to, to, to have the light bulb go off and say, Hey, you know, we're going to do this every weekend. I've got a smoker. We're going to come out and we're, you know, so it, it helped us create a lot of momentum. And, uh, I've always appreciated the fact that, uh, it was unwavering support because that's, that's what you have to have. If you're going to, if you're going to have any kind of consistency, you got to find somebody to join you. Yeah. And yeah, just to reiterate that Greg is just so loyal and such a great guy and well he's a nickel state guy so let's be honest i mean he's got other loyalties <laughs> yeah, i mean he's yeah. got two helmets in that office yeah, yeah he's out that, of town i might grab true. that nickel state helmet yeah maybe take it with you i might gee where'd that go i don't remember that Does he nothing? listen to this podcast not yet he's okay. not a, well, not a listener yet all right so, cool yeah. let's see if we can uh don't tell him don't yeah. everyone be quiet about that yeah let's see what happens with this Nichols is pretty good now. There was a time where Nichols was was not a very good football program. But yeah, when he was on it, yeah. Well, I'm not <laughs> is that what you're saying? Where, not where I was going. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, your broadcast a little bit, because one of my favorite things in the world, I l love radio, grew up like falling asleep with the radio up against my ear, like flipping the channels. You know, at that time, I was just amazed by this little band called Megadeth. Uh, they had a song called uh, Sweating Bullets that just blew my little second grade brains out, right? <laughs> so, love the radio. And one of my favorite things is tuning into 88.1 and hearing you and Dave Barnett call a game. I love it. Thank you. It, it is one of my favorite things. And Dave Barnett, awesome guy. Rock star. Cool yeah. story. And just and I remember listening to him uh, do the Rangers broadcast. So when he came back on, it was like, I know him. That's cool. And the Barnett family also just phenomenal people. Tell me a little bit about that. Let's talk about like you doing the broadcasting and kind of bring it full circle. 
uh, you travel with the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you do all that. How did you, how do you get into calling a game? I can't even I can't even comprehend what it takes to sit there and do what you do. So how do you how do you get into it? You know, I always tell the uh, the broadcast students that, that broadcasting is an open book test. So you better bring all your <laughs> you better bring all your notes with you. I mean, the biggest thing about doing a broadcast is not so much what you think it might be um, as having prepped to the point where you're probably only going to use twenty percent of what you prep for, and eighty percent is just going to vanish when the broadcast is over. Um, so all the prep you're doing is well before. Yeah, for football, um, for instance, uh, we all still use spotter boards. So I'll have a, a board that's going to have the mean green offense, 22 players. So the starters and the backups, the two deep. Um, even though I'm, I'm pretty sure Mason Fine's going to go full throttle, I'm going to have all of the backup quarterbacks on my spotter board in the event that something happens with him. You know, I, I, you've got to be ready. Gotcha. Especially with your skill position players to have a lot of information at, at your ready. How do you know that? How, where do you get that information? Um, uh, that's a great question. There's a lot of ways to get it now that they're, they're, it used to be more finite in that. But principally, I start with our sports information staff. We've got a, a an excellent media relations staff. Eric Capper's been with us for a long time, since uh, I think 2001 when Cap got here. Um, So he heads that whole office, and he's uh, terrific. But Jordan Stepp is the current um, media contact for football. And so Jordan and I, during the the year, um, I mean, we're we're talking all the time. So his game notes, his preparation, everything he does to get ready for a season in terms of information on the players is – that's step one for me. So when I went – on vacation a week ago, I took all of his preseason uh, information, okay. his fact and records guide. I took Dave Campbell's Texas football, Athlons, all those. I, I read all of that front to cover just gotcha. to kind of get it. I also follow a lot of, uh, of Twitter um, as it relates to our team. Uh, there's more coverage now. 24-7 does an, an awesome job. Uh, I know some of those writers uh, – there's a lot of good information out there about our team that didn't used to exist. You know, it used to be pretty finite to the, you had to know the guy or the yeah, and then you know uh, the certainly uh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I still read newspapers. A lot of people don't, um, but uh, I, I think a lot of what uh, the DRC it comes up with is stuff I already knew. You know, yeah. so it's not so much that uh, Brett doesn't cover us in a in a complete way. It's just most of what he's uh, regurgitating. I'm on the front side of already knowing. So, uh, but beyond that, uh, you have to forge a relationship with coaches. Yeah. Uh, you have to be in a in a room of trust with those people. If if they, for whatever reason, think that you're going to be flippantly throwing information out, then they're not going to talk to you. And so, it takes a little while. Whenever a staff changes over, for them to understand that you're friendly fire and that you're not trying to talk about injuries or you know, movements within the structure of their offense. I mean, because it's a very competitive industry. And uh, I've always found that if I can forge a good relationship with coordinators or people and they understand, all I'm trying to do is be as well prepared as I can be when the ball is kicked off. Up until then, I don't need to say anything. But once once the game's going, if I've got some good insights that maybe nobody else has, that's an edge. Um, so, and, I've, and I've worked with two 
completely phenomenal people. George Dunham for 20 years. I mean, that's a dream come true. And we're, yeah, uh, cool. we're great friends because of that. Uh, and then Dave Barnett, who I, I watched Dave from afar, uh, when he was on ESPN and always thought he was a cut above everything, then got to know him a little bit when I first got here. Cause he's a North Texas guy. And now I'm working with him and it's, uh, it's he's awesome. Well, he's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's two of the very best people you could ever work with. And I don't know how I got so lucky and I feel badly for both of them. They got stuck with me, but it's, it's worked out. The football bounced in the yeah, in took your a, direction. Took a crazy bounce, really crazy. <laughs> so what the average listener or the average, uh, watcher, and I put me in that uh, that realm for sure. If I want more information to kind of add to my football experience, what's the source that I go to to get more out of it? Is there a single source or like yeah, what? It, where it, can I tune if in? If you're really, really into uh, stats and minutia and notes and trivia and all that, I would tell you go to MeanGreenSports.com once the season starts. And go to the game notes. Bring up the game notes. Normally, Jordan will have those notes up by probably Tuesday of each week. And that's, you know, you're going to get 30 pages worth of information. <laughs> yeah. And if you listen to the broadcast, you're going to say, how did Hank know that? Or what? It, yeah, no, read. You read it. Just you know, you it. learn it. Um, uh, our coaches shows um, during the season, um, because Dave is such a good interviewer, we'll have a couple of, of players on normally each segment, you'll learn something more about the, the kids on the team. Uh, that's a great opportunity to either listen or, you know, come out to the shows live. We do them at Rudy's on Tuesday nights uh, during the season. I think we'll start uh, last week of August. Um, those are good ways to come out and learn a little bit more about, you know, uh, who's on the team. Cause the kids all have great stories. The other thing that our staff does a phenomenal job with is, uh, we put together uh, videos called uh, Born and Bred and <clears throat> actually go to the hometowns of student athletes and and learn a little bit more about their uh, their upbringing and how they got to North Texas. And those Born and Bred episodes are very 30 for 30 style, um, but we've got really talented people in our, our Mean Green Productions department that put those things together. And so I always tell fans, I mean, there's a lot of things out there that, that cover North Texas that you can certainly – enjoy you know you can go to the fan site you can do all that but if you really want breaking news that's real news in real time go to our website because that's where it all emanates from that's awesome is there any sort of big thing that's going to happen this year any sort of highlights like what do you what do you expect out of this season i've always been very conservative in my uh estimations of of mean green football but i'm i'm completely giddy <laughs> I, you know it's i can sense it like well it's when i'm in this town and i talk with you know i'm around folks that are involved and i kind of brush up against that i can tell yeah it, i it, can feel it it's, it's palatable it's, it is and it's it's scary but you know you uh it's you contagious learn, too well, by well, the way with any team what you learn is is it a healthy locker room? If it's a healthy locker room and you've got leadership um, among the, the athletes, and I don't care if you're talking about women's soccer or golf or football, if your upperclassmen kind of have, have turned that corner and they're going to kind of mandate the vibe, then the coaches are free to do what they're there to do, and that is coach. They don't have to worry about drama. They don't have to worry about problems. And right. I think Seth – turn that locker room around in year one to the point where now you look at who's in that locker room and you begin with number six, Mason fine as a senior, you've got to be nothing but excited about the mindset. Um, and while it was disappointing to go and not win the bowl game last year, 
I think the, the, the positives there is it left this group hungry. hungry. There's no reason for them not to want to attain every possible goal. Offensively, it ought to be a really, really good year. Defensively, um, there's some question marks. And I, I love Troy Ruffett. He's one of my favorite coaches, the defensive coordinator, because he's he's hopelessly old school and you know gruff and, and always demanding. But he's got his work cut out because he loses – Two players up front, two excellent players in the linebacking core. I mean, Ajaya and, and Garner were about as good as you can get uh, at our level uh, yeah. in terms of production. So that's that's two big losses. And then you lose two in the secondary. So you've got a lot of work to do to kind of figure out who is going to come in defensively. But again, I get back to that keyword culture. I think the defensive culture has changed to where I feel like they can they can supplant those losses, and I feel like Mason's going to orchestrate an offense that is going to outscore whatever the defense decides to, you know, to give up. And I don't think the defense, you know, will give up a lot. They they got a lot better. I think they trimmed about eleven points off what they gave a year ago. Special teams. Um, if you followed us the last few years, Marty Biaggi is a really good special teams coach. Uh, you know, go back to the Arkansas game. The fake punt's probably the biggest thing that's happened in huge in. in 60 years for this Massive. program. So I yeah, feel, I, cool. I, I trust Marty. I, whatever, whatever he decides he's <laughs> going to do with personnel. Um, Go do your thing, Marty. But yeah, it, it should be exciting. And it's a really good, it's a really good home season. Um, it, it takes forever to get a schedule the way you really want it, but this one's balanced. We've got some great opportunities. Um, the games are spaced out. Well, the, the Houston game really should be a sellout. There's no reason why Apogee shouldn't be full when Houston comes in here. They've got a Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback. We've got a Heisman oh, that's candidate cool. quarterback. Two Texas schools. It's everything everyone always wanted North Texas to be able to say yeah. they have at home. So, I mean, I'm going to challenge everyone right now. What it, If you just had to pick one game, why not pick that one? Come and, and pack the place. It's going to be a blast. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, is there anything else? I <laughs> think we've we've um, we've covered a lot. Yeah, I don't know. It's I mean, we never good. talked about any kind of live music, which is sort of oh my gosh, oh my but gosh. that could be another one. Wow, we didn't talk minor league baseball. Oh my gosh, <laughs> we have a lot to talk about, Hank. <laughs> what the heck? I don't know. I don't know how much time is. I got to get back to work. Probably. I mean, it's nine thirty now. Wow. Well, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I, I pitched North Texas, right? I did yeah. something. You did good. How about this? Um, golly. Let's talk about... Golly, I, I want to pick one of those. Um, you, you pick. Let's, let's, uh, let's talk one, and then, uh, then we'll cap it. Uh, live music in Denton, Texas. Where, where does that go next? I mean, it's, so it's kind of an interesting time. So when I got here in 2003 from Boston, I my first job was at a brand new little sandwich shop off of Fry Street called, uh, golly, what is that sandwich shop? I cannot remember the name now. It's the sandwich shop. <laughs> Did, Pita Pit? No, next uh, door to it. Oh, I can't believe I'm blanking. That used on that to be one. the uh, that used to be the state club. No, yeah, used to be the state. Jimmy club. Johns. Jimmy Johns. <laughs> How can I forget Jimmy? Johns? That used to be the state club. Yeah, and that uh, state club. That redo is uh, incredible because the state club was dark <laughs> and dingy, but had amazing chicken tenders. 
So I was, yeah, steak club, mm-hmm. chicken tenders. So the uh, I was there for a couple of months before getting my dream job. It fell into my lap. I started doing construction on a little bar downtown. And uh, part of that construction meant designing a stage and a sound booth. And eventually, they were asking me to book bands at what came to be known as Haley's at 122 Mulberry Street. Dream job. I mean... Couldn't have given me a, a cooler position to have at that time. And that's that was the other kind of cool thing was in 2003, we opened October 31st of 2003. At that time, as you know, as we kind of talked about, the square was dead. But I was like, no, this is this is the center of, of the universe right now. And I booked national bands from Not A Surf. Uh, golly, that's the only one that comes to mind right now, Black Alicious. Uh, uh, explosions in the sky, right? I mean, national bands that would have played Dallas, I was convincing them that they could sell a room out in, in Denton. And so in my mind, we kind of had a heyday of national bands coming through, a lot of great bands playing in Denton, and uh, eventually kind of moved over to Dan's, was booking at Dan's up until probably 2014 when I, when I got here. And I've kind of seen the the music scene kind of come and go here. Um, And now that I'm where I am now, the music scene I kind of experience is what happens at Dan's, you know, between uh, just uh, who's on the schedule there. Daniel Markham is uh, probably one of my favorite bands, but then there's always, I'm with you there. He's, he is phenomenal, but you know, that's kind of how I see it. And people love to tout Denton as a music town, but I kind of see, I don't see it as like big and robust now. And it could be just because there it hasn't been a venue booking like the big national shows in a, in a little bit. No, I, I kind of figured when I got out of the game in 2014 that somebody, some young kid would come along and start grabbing those shows, but that never really materialized. Yeah, I always thought uh, maybe the you know, it's been a number of different things, 35 Confret, North by 35, that whole effort – was started to trend that way, uh, but it, 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 that's a big enterprise. That takes a lot of organization. It takes a lot of support, and we, we need to find a way to make it work. The Arts and Jazz Festival is a wonderful thing for Denton, and I was, on, I was on their board for a number of years and met probably the core group of people that I, that I enjoy the most through that organization, so I've got nothing but great things to say about it. That said, it's not the music that I really want to hear for three straight days. I, I would love one more festival to come that might be more mainstream or at least college-oriented music. And I felt like the 35 effort was starting to get there. It's just that it, it, uh, it takes a lot of support. But, I mean, I look around now, and, and uh, Eric Polito with, with Andes, I mean, he's bringing in some some terrific shows. Um, You're exactly right. That's uh, been a... That's and, been a cool thing to yeah. see kind of bubble up right there. And he's he's invested back into that place and, and is nice enough to always let me know when something's coming that he thinks I would like. So I really appreciate what he brings to the table because he's so well-connected, obviously, in the music industry. Dan's has always been my go-to place and, and, and will remain that way because I just think it's a great place to to see live music in a small setting. A um, place to have a meeting, too. Every now and then. Major announcements. It's a good place for that. Good place um, for that. Rob Hodeck, uh, who I'm involved with on uh, the Serve Denton Capital Campaign, and Rob is a uh, uh, just big-hearted guy. Yeah. Uh, uses his his uh, his means 
towards good purposes, he's reinvented rubber gloves. And that's uh, great to see that place back and, and cleaned up and can be a viable opportunity that had gone away. Um, and then, you know, you, you look, Harvest House is a really cool vibe for people. LSA is constantly churning out, um, you know, opportunities for local people. So I, I think it's a big part of why downtown is now a what I call a recruitable asset for both universities. If you come here as a mom or dad and you're getting ready to drop off your daughter or your son here and you see how nice and clean and, and fun downtown is, the live music to me is uh, it's why we get compared to probably Austin from 25 or 30 years ago. And I don't sure. think that's a bad comparison at all. I think no. it's a, I think it's positive. So I, I feel like it's a big part of, of uh, you know, what makes Denton great. And I, I want to see, ways that we can come up with uh, areas that we can continue to support it. I think the, the, the DMAC effort is great. There's a lot of talented people in this town that um, we want to keep them here. We want to keep them playing here. We want to make sure that as well, artists, explain, they can explain what that is real quick. Well, I mean, I, I've got very, you know, limited knowledge of it. Um, but, but uh, it's an organization that basically raises money to, uh, help with insurance for musicians, right? Is, because they're they're not on benefits, you know, and 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 they're going to have uh, the same kind of dental and medical needs that you and I do, and so it's Denton uh, Denton Musicians Acceptance Corporation, I believe that's what DMX stands for. But Andy Napic, who uh, unfortunately passed away last year, was one of the the front runners of that, along with Nick uh, Bagapore and, and yeah. so many other good people, and they just realized that. Uh, that needs to be out there, you know, for some of the, the amazing people we have in this town that uh, entertain us year round. And so I think, you know, the more we can kind of embrace those things and, and understand that's a big part of who we are, uh, I think that's important. And then, sure. you know, I, I mentioned, I mentioned Serve Denton. That's something I've gotten very involved in. And, and along with uh, the great things the United Way does and the Salvation Army, uh, we got to be aware of, of all the uh, human, uh, health services that we need to offer in this town. There's a lot of opportunities to get involved as a volunteer, and there's a lot of ways to get involved. If you have financial wherewithal, there's a lot of ways you can uh, put that towards good causes. So there's, there's a lot of good things to get involved with here. Yeah, and you asked a really great question last night at the the event. The event was, a, golly, it was the EDP reception mm -hmm. where the county kind of presented where we were at. And I think your question, I'm going to kind of rephrase it, but what what's the opportunity that we're putting in front of people to give back to the community where they're landing this great space to do business? Like, are, are we connecting the dots on like how they can give back? Well, I think you have to celebrate what Peterbilt does for United Way. Peterbilt is, you know, the major private employer in Denton County and they give back every year substantially uh, as an employee base to the United Way. That's what they do. Um, and so United Way has come to, to be able to enjoy that every year. They still have to go out and raise a lot of other money, but they've got that one benchmark. So as we have tried to raise the little more than $3 million that we need to raise to pay off the note for the Serve Denton Center off Loop 288, we'd sure like to find a quote-unquote Peterbilt out there. And so my point was if we're going to entertain these businesses coming in and we're going to work towards tax abatements or whatever we need to, to bring in a major employer somewhere in the midst of that conversation, there needs to be, what are you willing to give back to? And what I love about serve Denton is that it's multiple opportunities under one roof. So 
no matter where your passion may be as a company, I think we could find a fit for you. We, we need a Peterbilt. We need someone to, to come in and help help us get to that that goal. So that was my point last night, and I thought Judge Eads uh, had some really good answers on that. And yeah. So I'm very pleased to hear that the mindset was the same. Very cool. And kind of back to your uh, er, an earlier point you made about the people of Denton being very generous, and we care about our brothers and sisters and uh, the community here. And I mean, that's evident through a lot of the work that you do at served in and kind of what they're doing in United way. You're right. Like you really see that we watch out for our own here for sure. Yeah. It's uh, interesting when people graduate and leave, um, they sometimes don't understand how ingrained Denton is to the community um, and both universities. And I always have to remind people, it's like, you know, um, without Denton, we're all really lost. Um, don't don't think for a minute that Denton doesn't get involved and doesn't behind the scenes. There, there's just too many good people in this town, in a, in a business community that um, really gets asked to support everything, you know, and and does. Yeah. So when are you going to run for mayor? <laughs> you know, there's an election yeah, coming up. Yeah, I don't think that's going to work. Everybody uh, likes you. No, Hank. no, no, they don't. I can I can I can present you with plenty that don't. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, you know, that's a, that's a mean spirited thing. All of a sudden I, I look at so many friends and colleagues. I'm looking at one right now sitting across from me that, you know, have, have forayed into that. I have a real appreciation for anybody that can make that work in their life. Um, I don't know how you can do it while you're working. They've made it so difficult. To, and, I mean, because we've got, uh, an element that wants to put you out of business if they don't agree with you. And that used to not be there. And I hate meetings. I don't know how they can sit there that long. I couldn't, I would be really bad on TV meetings. Yeah. Yeah. You'd see me lose my temper. Yeah. I'd like to support the right people. And I, and I believe that voting in your local elections is perhaps more important than voting in your national elections, because what happens in your own backyard, you know, that, that has a, an impact on your kids and your spouse and your property and everything you do. So I, I want to get behind the right people and I certainly want to do whatever I can to, to help. But I, yeah, I don't know that that appeals to me at all. And, um, yeah, I don't know it, when, if it doesn't work for Greg Johnson, I don't There's no way it could work for me. <laughs> Being generous there. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciated it. We have a lot of big ideas. We do. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, We'll get to more. You will definitely be on again. I have a meeting to get to. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Well, that was that. Really enjoyed that conversation. Love that Hank Dickinson. And don't forget, join us at Apogee Stadium, August 31st. Mean Green and Abilene Christian will be there about two hours before kickoff. Eagle Point tailgating area. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.